Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And thank you for having me back. Uh, those of you who had uh, say in that, I really appreciate uh, the invitation to come back. I didn't know after going to California for a, a few years whether I'd be remembered at Camp Syker, and I was so delighted when the invitation came. And as is typical, since I don't do a whole lot of camp meetings, it's scheduled out so far that I thought it would never come and Jesus would be back before uh, it ever came around, and, but here it is. And I'm really grateful uh, to be here. It's good to see some old friends uh, from across the years and uh, some of you that I made acquaintance with while I was uh, here uh, the two previous times, particularly I see Matthew Grissom there who I developed a little bit of a connection with the last time I was here, a very special Camp Psycherite. And uh, I just love that young man right there. Why don't you give him a round of applause, shall you? Amen. That's my buddy there. And I see Dr. and Mrs. Shankel over there. Dr. Shankel was my first district superintendent. 30 years ago, he appointed me to my first church. I went there sight unseen under appointment. And uh, that was uh, quite an adventure. And uh, he put a lot of trust in me. And I love that man and his wife, uh, Joyce, so much. And uh, that's where my ministry began. 30 years, believe it or not have passed since then. I thought if anybody had been at anything 30 years, they were washed up. Now I realize that I'm not, I hope. Uh, but uh, thank you for being here, uh, Dr. and Mrs. Shankel. And uh, one thing I learned after I went to that first assignment in Springfield, in fact, Claude and Jen Nicholas were in Springfield at the same time when I was there. Uh, one thing I remember from that after I got there, they told me that, uh, you know, when the district superintendent mentioned my name to the church way back there, uh, they immediately made contacts, as they do, you know, with different ones that know me, and the word came back to the church board, and this was part of the thing that convinced them. They said that, uh, uh, I think it was Bill Blaine's uh, uh, daughter said, uh, who uh, Bill Blaine was the previous pastor, he said, she said, he's really smart, that Paul Whiteford, he's a really smart guy, but you'd never know what to talk to him. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I've been living with that ever since. <laughs> so anyway, it's good to be with John Juneman and uh, his lovely wife. And uh, I appreciate uh, so much working with him. He was here when I was here the last time as well. And uh, I know he greeted me in the back and he wanted to make sure I was prayed for. I appreciate his sense of spirit. I've watched some of the messages uh, on uh, Facebook. Um, and so uh, the Facebook live stream, that's so cool. If my family's watching, hello there. Um, I'm glad that uh, uh, that's available. Um, my wife uh, would want to send greetings. I'm here by myself. Uh, her health has continued to uh, be a big challenge and is unable to travel. I had hoped to have possibly a daughter come with me, but she has to be there to watch uh, mom. And uh, so I'm here. And uh, they're probably watching on, on television uh, or on uh, the computer. Uh, relates to uh, uh, that idea of you would never know what to talk to him. My wife, a uh, number of years ago, I, I did go and, and receive a, a doctor of ministry degree at uh, Asbury Seminary. And my wife says, uh, well, I suppose we're going to have to call you Dr. Whiteford now. And I said, oh, no, honey. Master is good enough for you. I don't put too much stock in that stuff. <laughs> Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Amen. We've got the word tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. And uh, you've been sitting for a while. Would you like to stand and, and uh, read the scripture with me in honor of God's word? Let's read the gospel. Matthew 11:28, the words of Jesus. Just a couple of verses. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we need you so much uh, in this uh, remaining time of this service. Because, Lord, I don't come to give a speech or a seminar or a talk. 
But Lord, I've come to declare the word of God and I need your help to do it. And unless you help me to do it, it'll just be something far less than the preaching of your word. So Lord, help me as I depend upon you to proclaim the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Lord, help us to hear. And Lord, somehow as we respond, and this is a cooperative effort between people and pulpit, we pray, Lord, that somehow that thing which the scripture calls the proclamation of the word of God will take place and we will hear the, the still small voice of Jesus, the spirit of God speaking to us in our hearts. And Lord, we'll know that the message was crafted in a way that uh, fit us and helped us tonight. Take control, we pray. Give us the ability to focus and to respond by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I did travel 300 miles to get here this afternoon after preaching uh, this morning, and I am a little bit tired, um, but I'm here to talk to you about being a little weary, and I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about something a little bit more deep than just the physical labor of a hard day's work, although certainly you can become weary from a hard day's work. And giving yourself a hard day's work uh, day after day can certainly uh, eventually take a toll, but I'm not really talking about that. I guess what I'm thinking about is a woman that I knew in my ministry who was very weary. She had two teenage, teenage, uh, teenagers that were kind of a little bit rebellious. They were giving her some challenges. In the middle of the conflicts that were going on that way, her husband decided to leave her and uh, find another woman and abandon her, and she found herself uh, very short financially as a result. Not long after that, she discovered that she was losing her eyesight. She was employed at McDonald's trying to make a living in her 50s and it wasn't exactly the way life in, was envisioned. In fact, she, she uh, couldn't believe all that had happened in such a short period of time. And I can remember, because I'm kind of a Diet Coke fiend, I'm constantly buying these dollar Diet Cokes. I'd go up to the window, and uh, she oftentimes would be there in the window, and I would say, how are you doing today? Probably the wrong question. But I asked, and she'd say, I'm fine. And I'd say, well, how are you really? And then the eyes would begin to mist up, and she began to weep. And I said, I love you, and I'm praying for you, and the Lord cares about what's going on in your life. Well, it goes so often that after a while, they you know, it was kind of the same thing happening over and over again. So I would say, how's it going? And she would say, I'm fine. And I'd say, you know, I had a doll when I was a child. You just pulled the string and it said the same thing. And she said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she would laugh and she'd say, oh, that's the stock answer. I was with a, I was on my way to Florida one time and I was cutting through uh, the state of Georgia and stopped off at a Burger King because I couldn't find a McDonald's. I like their Diet Cokes better. And uh, I went to Burger King instead, and uh, there was one of the workers that was there. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, well, he said, uh, nobody wants to hear it. And he said, those that do want to hear it, I can't afford, so I'm not even going to say. <laughs> I said, I got, I got that. <laughs> I understand. A lot of things can cause weariness. A prolonged lack of sleep over a period of time can make a person weary. Stress can make a person weary. The stress that just doesn't go away, that just constantly is a burden and a weight. Uh, criticism and complaints can certainly do that to us. Illness can do that to us. Caring for somebody with an illness can do that to us. Caring for someone with, a, with, a, uh, with issues where they're very dependent. For some people, even sameness and boredom can begin to create a weariness. I'm just tired of the way things are. On the other hand, some of us are overwhelmed by the 
avalanche of change that's taking place in our society. Who would have believed that the world in which we live has changed as much as it has in the last 10, 15 years, or 20 years, or 25 years ago? We live in a world that 25 years ago would have been unimaginable, unthinkable. We wouldn't even believe that things are the way they are now. This avalanche of change keeps coming, and it seems to come faster and faster and faster. And we long to have something that's the same, and we show up on church at the church on Sunday morning, and everything's changing so fast it makes our heads spin, and the pastor stands up on Sunday morning and says, I'd like to talk to you about change. We're going to change everything. <laughs> We're going to change our strategy. We're going to change our mindset. We're going to change this. Let me preach to you about change. And most of us by that point have had a change up to here and we can't take any more change and, and it starts wearing on us. I don't want to change. It becomes burdensome. And then after a while we start becoming grumpy and irritated. It's all a sign of weariness. In fact, I find that it affects everything that I do. When I become weary, I, 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 it, it changes the way I look at the world. It, it changes the way I think about other people. It, it affects my relationships. It, it affects my spirituality. It affects everything. When I'm, when I'm weary, it, it just impacts my life at a very deep level when I'm tired. Sometimes I don't even act as good as I would if I wasn't so weary. I've got a four-year-old granddaughter named Elena. I've been looking at all your grandchildren on Facebook. I like mine the best. I mean, she's beautiful. I just love that little girl. But sometimes she gets tired and weary, and she starts acting up and acting out, and it's not a very pretty sight, even for Grandpa. Even Grandpa can't even hardly stand it. You know, it's just she's acting up because she's tired. And then sometimes somebody will say, oh, look at Elena. She's so tired. And Elena will stomp her feet. No, I'm not tired. Quit saying I'm tired. I'm not tired. We start acting and perceiving things and seeing things and responding in ways we never would. Out in California, I was getting pretty, pretty worn out at one point. I was trying to do some chaplaincy work and I was trying to pastor my church and I was uh, trying to take care of Sheila who had a couple of discs blow out in her neck and she had a several months of, uh, of having surgery and then recovery from that and, and all the newness of being in California. I mean, I pulled up to gas pumps and I didn't even know how to get gas. They had different contraptions and instructions on there and, and it was just, you know, it was just kind of overwhelming. And one thing I noticed out there is a lot of people out there have stickers all over their car. Now, if you have stickers all over your car, this is not meant to offend you. I didn't look to see if anybody had stickers. But I just noticed that the people that are the most radical, the most opinionated, have a lot of stickers on their car. It, it might be to the left or it might be to the right, but they've been, they're just stickers all over their car. And out there in California, some of them are kind of anti-religion stickers. Some that really kind of would surprise you. But I was driving along and I was kind of weary and I looked at the back of one of these cars and there was a bumper sticker and it said, Turn in preachers. And there was a 1-800 number, turn in preachers. I thought to myself, what in the world has come of this country? Now we're at the place where they're turning us in just because we're preachers. I can't believe it. It's persecution has begun. California, they're just, it's just so different. Turn in the preachers. Can you believe it? Until I pulled up a little closer and could see it a little better, and it said, turn in poachers. <laughs> see, I was so stressed out, so worried, that I was starting to worry about things that weren't even real. <laughs> you know, you just start seeing everything in a different way, and everybody's out to get you, and paranoia can set in. You know, the Bible tells us several ways we can become too weary. In Ecclesiastes, it says that uh, much study wearies the body. In 2 Samuel, it says we can grow weary fighting off enemies. It says he stood his ground and struck down Philistines till his hands grew tired. David, the psalmist, wrote, 
that uh, we can be weary of persecution and criticism. He said, my eyes grew weak from sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. We can even grow weary of waiting on God to answer the cry of our heart. You say, where'd you get that? Isn't that disrespectful? No, I got that from the Bible. You see, it says it right in the Bible. The psalmist was writing and he writes, I am worn out from calling from help for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Where is he? That, my friends, is a deep level of weariness when I need something so desperately and God doesn't seem to answer. I heard a preacher say one time that um, he got so desperate one time he prayed a prayer something like this. God, if I was as big as you and you were as little as me, I'd help a guy like you. (laughs) Desperate. I found myself there. The immediate context of these words in Matthew suggests that Jesus may have had in mind, or Matthew may have had in mind, as he put it together, that he may have had in mind the demands of the law and the religionists. The disciples were hungry, it says in chapter 12, and they went into the fields and they took some of the the heads of grain and they, they, they took it off there and ate it because they were hungry. And immediately the religionists and the enforcers moved in and said, you can't do that. It's against the law. It's against the rules. It's a violation of the Sabbath. Weary to be around that all the time. Jesus went a little further down the road and there was a man with a withered hand. This man probably had never been able to do any meaningful work. This man had suffered tremendously. He'd probably been made fun of unmercifully as a a child. His self-esteem was low. All kinds of issues related to a condition like that. Jesus saw him, had him stretch out his hand, and that hand which had always been withered straightened out and was whole and well. And that man was probably doing something with his hands that he'd never been able to do before. I don't know if they high-fived or I don't know if they shook hands, but they did. He was doing something. He was thrilled. And there was rejoicing, no doubt, around that tremendous miracle. But let me tell you, the enforcers and the, and the negatives and the criticizers came right in and said, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You just broke the rules. Can't be of God. The constant drumbeat of religion and rules and regulations that can be all burden, all requirements, all demands without blessing, without grace, without help, it can suck the life out of you. It can make you very, very weary. Even doing the right things for the right reasons can make a person weary. The Apostle Paul said, do not grow weary in well-doing. He says, you'll reap a harvest in due season if you don't give up. Don't give up. He said, but you can certainly become weary in doing the right thing. I know pastors in this day, this is a tough time. I was walking through the stores the other day and for some reason my mind was off of the church and I was thinking to myself, what worked for me 15 years ago is not working today. And I know pastor friends of mine who wish they were closer to retirement. Some said, I just can't take it anymore. I'm just sick of the whole thing, all this constant stuff that's on us, and people aren't responsive, and I feel like I'm just, I'm just flailing away, but we're not having the results. I'm sick of the organization. I'm sick of the leadership. I'm sick of everything. And see, their, their whole mindset becomes negative. You know, they would never tell you that, but sometimes preachers get down in the dumps too. Weariness is usually the result of being out of balance in some area in our life. Either we don't have enough of something or we have too much of something else and we're out of balance. Some years ago, I was driving my van, and, and as I drove the van, I noticed that it just kind of veered a little bit to the right. 
I didn't think very much about it because my idea of repair, car repair is if it's making a noise, just turn the radio up louder and keep on going down the road. I mean, you know, I don't know anything about cars, but I just knew it was kind of going to the right. And it, it had been doing that for a while, and then I noticed that it was doing it a lot more, so much so that if I let it, if I took my hands off the wheel, it would just change lanes. Anybody ever had a car like that? You just take your hands off the wheel, and it goes slide over in the next lane. So you're kind of hoping that you only have to make right turns because it always wants to do the right turn. And then uh, it got so bad that if I didn't hold it pretty good, you know, I could find myself going off the road. When about got that time, I thought, you know, I'm not a brain surgeon, but I better look to see what these tires look like. Maybe I've got a flat. Wasn't flat, but the steel belts were sticking right through the rubber. I had let that thing stay out of balance so long that I was this close to a blowout, and had I blown out, I might have lost my life. Had I kept my family in the vehicle with me, I might have damaged my family forever. I might have blown them out too. In fact, it might have been so bad that I could have caused a wreck like I saw on Interstate 70 on the way here where I drove between the cars like a battlefield on the way here. It, it could have been something that caused uh, such a wreck that even people I don't even know would be affected by. All because I let my balance be ignored. Some of us are weary, and the most common basis of the most common explanation for weariness is something's out of balance. And the harder, the more, the more out of balance we are, the harder it is to keep things going the right way. It just takes a little bit more thought to keep doing the right thing when you're out of balance. And, and then if you ignore it long enough, then you really got to watch out because you could do the wrong thing without even realizing it just by not paying attention. And if you don't, do it, you don't pay attention long enough, eventually you could find yourself so close to a blowout that you could mess yourself up, you could mess your family up, and you could mess other people up. In fact... Most people that mess up spiritually, that seem to be in the church and seem to be really good people and they seem to be really committed and all that, we all know these stories and we think, how could that happen? They were so committed. But what we didn't know was something was out of balance and it was ignored and it was ignored and it was ignored and they were wrestling with the wheel, trying to keep it moving down the center. But every time it moved to the right, they tried to keep it, but it, it became more and more effort until finally it blew now the damage is done. That's the danger of being out of balance and weary. But I got good news. Jesus has an invitation for us in this passage. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, if you're out of balance, I have an invitation for you. Come unto me. I was visiting a pastor friend of mine not long ago. He said, I'm tired. I went to California. My daughter graduated from college, and she just got a job at Nationwide Children's Hospital as a nurse. I'm so thrilled for that. And, uh, but I was there visiting some of my old parishioners and one of the men, one of the rock solid men in the church, one of the men who doesn't say too much but is just there and is always faithful. I said, how's it going? He said, Pastor, I'm tired. Jesus said, come to me. He says, come to me. He's saying, come to me. <laughs> That's why you came to camp meeting. That's why we're at Camp Syker. But it, it's not just coming to Camp Syker. Camp Syker, as wonderful as it is, as it, is, is, a facil is it, it facilitates something. But what we need to do is go past that all the way through to come to Jesus. And we need to let him bring balance and order. And we need to let him do something for us that only he can do. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, get away from me. Depart from me. He said, come. In the Old Testament, they were afraid to get too close to God. Moses saw something strange. He saw a bush that was burning. 
But it wasn't consumed, and he looked at it, and it, it made him curious, and he started moving towards that bush. But before he got too close, a voice came out of the bush and said, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Don't come too close. Moses warned the people, I'm going up to the mountain. I'm going to meet with God. But don't you come up there. You stay down here. Stay in this place because it's dangerous to get too close to God. They built a tabernacle that would travel with them in their journeys. And in that tabernacle, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God came. It was wonderful. Fire and smoke. And, and it was amazing. But it said Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. Most people, when the temple was built, never even gave any thought to trying to get in to the inner parts of the temple. It's not available. The Holy of Holies is, is there for God. The, the high priest can go in once a year. And then there's these, this, these, this comb-like structure that, that, that if, if, you're a, if you're a Gentile, you can only go this far. And if you're a woman, you can only go this far. And if you're a Jew, you can only go this far. But you can't get into God. But I want to tell you that when God became flesh and entered into our world in the person of Jesus Christ, he says to us who are weary, come to me, come to me. You're weary, you're tired, come to me, all of you. All you tired bums and dads and all you pastors and laymen and all you stressed out teenagers, come to me. Now, I don't know anyone who knows anything about Jesus who wouldn't hear that as good news <laughs> and want to come running. If you're wearing heavy burden in church, it could be because, and we all know this to kind of be the, the case, that 20% of the people typically do 80% of the work and give 80% of the money. If you have a really good going church, then that percentage goes up. Maybe you got 30%, maybe you got 40%. You get 50%, you probably got an on-fire church. If you ever get beyond 50%, you probably got something like, an, it's almost approaching biblical proportions that's going on where people are engaged. It's work to teach a class. It's work to run a camp meeting. It's work to do the books. It's work to keep the grounds. It's work to, to be a pastor. It's work, it's work, it's work, and it wears on us. And we need to come to Jesus. That's why we come to camp meeting. That's why we have revivals. You know, I've been a pastor for 30 years. Now, I hate to keep saying that, but it's just, it's, it's kind of stuck in my system since I just came across that milestone and... Uh, you know, across those 30 years, I've had a lot of people have fun with me, and I've had fun back. And they're usually the people that love me the most. If people don't tease me, then I don't think they love me. They tease me, and I know they love me, and, and I know what they mean. But they sometimes will say, it must be nice to have a job where you only work one day a week. And most of the time, I'm able to uh, hear that and laugh with them and say, yeah, it's great work if you can get it. And uh, just shuck and jive with them and go right on with it. It's no problem. But let me tell you, there are times when you haven't been able to get the kind of uh, break that you want to have and people are resisting or there's trouble or people are needy in the hospital. Maybe you got a call in the middle of the night and you had to talk somebody off the edge for hours and, and you took time away from your own family and sometimes this can heap on upon the other. I remember one time I was in Columbus and I made eight hospital calls in the city of Columbus and one afternoon I was going from one hospital to the other and somebody had the audacity to tell me what I was doing with my time. I said, look, I've been at the hospitals all week long all day long. Somebody says at that moment, it must be nice to have a job but you only work one day a week. And I'm telling you, there are, the, it starts affecting everything, remember? And uh, I could have almost been sure that it said, turn in the preacher. <laughs> but it was turn in the poacher. <laughs> It was said in fun, it was said in jest, it was said, but because I'm tired, my world is affected. There are times when I need so desperately to rest. It is true 
it is very true that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do was the advice our district superintendent in Northwest Ohio gave us at times. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a day off. God took a day off, not because he was tired, but he did that as a gift to us. I got a kick out of our district superintendent's wife at district assembly. She was, uh, they were, her husband was reelected to a four-year term and she was up giving her testimony and she was talking about how weary and tired she was and she said God spoke to her. And God said, hey, Cindy, I gave you one day a week off. It's not my fault you're not taking it. That's God's plan. There's a plan, there's a time for rest. But when he says in this passage, come to me and I will give you rest, that solution that's there is not really about taking a nap. That solution, that answer is revival, renewal, restoration. Oswald Chambers said of this text, he does not mean I will put you to bed and hold your hand and sing a lullaby to sleep, to get to sleep. He says, but I will get you out of bed. I will get you out of your exhaustion, out of a state of half being dead while you're still alive, I will imbue you with a spirit of life and power and you will be stayed by the perfection of vital activity. The Bible scholars I read said the phrase means I will rest you. That's a close skin to, and another way of saying it is I will refresh you which isn't very far from saying, I will renew you. I will revive you. And how will I do that? I will do that when you come to me and when you come alongside me and learn of me and take my yoke upon you and we will do this together for a while. Learn from me. Learn how I do it. Learn my patterns. Learn what it means to walk with Jesus. This yoke that he gives. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. His father was a carpenter. And the carpenter would make a yoke and and it would be kind of a standard model. And then the, the carpenter would take it with the person who was going to purchase it and he would take it to the animal and he would put it on the animal and he would then take it back off the animal and he'd begin to contour it and shape it and he would trim it so that the yoke that is put on the animal doesn't chafe the way it would if it it was for somebody else, some other animal. Part of our problem is that sometimes we're wearing somebody else's yoke. We're not even doing the things we're supposed to do. We're not doing what was made for us to do. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I've shaped it just for you. When I started my ministry, I was trying to find role models that would help me, and, and uh, I had a lot of them, but one of them that I admired was Charles Stanley on television. I thought I'd like to be Charles Stanley, and I needed glasses. And so I went to the optometrist, and uh, they fitted me for glasses, and I was looking for Charles Stanley glasses. I wanted to look like Charles Stanley glasses and I got great big lenses, just giant lenses that he had back in those days. You ever seen some of those old tapes in the 80s? He had great big lenses. I got some of those. Guess what? I wasn't any more like Charles Stanley <laughs> than the man in the moon and I didn't even look like Charles Stanley. You know what I looked like? I looked like a geek. He did not need me to act like Charles Stanley. He already had a Charles Stanley. He needed a Paul Whiteford who would come alongside him and get in the yoke that's made specifically for him and do this ministry and do this this work together. And I began to learn what it means to wear wear my own shape and be myself rather than trying to be someone else who I cannot be. That's wearisome and futile. He says, 
come to me. You may have had a tough road to hoe, but if you come alongside me, we'll do it together. In fact, the picture might be that there's a double yoke here and Jesus is in one side and I'm in the other and we're going together and he's pulling more than his share of weight because I'm learning from him how this all goes and we're gonna do it together. I don't do so well by myself. I get stressed out by myself. I need to come alongside Jesus. I need to come to him. But there are times where we can become so depleted that while the Spirit is willing, our resources are challenged. In fact, I'll just tell you, sometimes when your patterns are disrupted enough, it's hard to find time to pray. How do I pray? How do I respond? Early in my ministry, we had a terrible series of events that happened all close together. My wife's health was broken and fragile and there were all kinds of implications for that and she had had to have emergency surgery and was recovering from that. And then my son was diagnosed with a serious developmental disability and it was profound. And that same week, my younger brother Danny decided life wasn't worth living. Danny was the kind of boy that when he was eight, the Little League, the scout stuff, he would sell stuff, he'd sell more candy than everybody else. He had big blue teardrop eyes and he was awesome. If we went fishing, he could catch fish if nobody else did. He had a winsome personality, he was good looking, all those things, but something happened when he was 12. We didn't know all what it was. We later learned that he started drinking at 12. He was on drugs and overdosing by age 15. By 16, he was on the street, and he lived a life of, uh, on the street and drug abuse. It seemed as though things were getting better. We at least knew where he was. He was in the same community where my father was living in California. And then the day came. When I heard the news, I collapsed to the floor and I don't even honestly remember what happened next. It was unimaginable to me that that could happen in our family. My mom had just moved to San Antonio, Texas. Nobody in our family had lived there before except one of my brothers and, and he hadn't been there very long and none of us knew anybody there. But my mom had chosen to live there and so it was decided that we would bring his body back from California to San Antonio for burial. It was the day before the funeral and I was sitting at the breakfast table and I picked up the newspaper and I looked on the front page and a congressman had died, a retired congressman from the San Antonio area and the obituary was on the front page and there was one column after another, all the achievements, all the college degrees, all the things he had done, all the, the outstanding contributions to society. I crumbled the paper up and I said to myself, it's just not fair. We didn't even have an obituary for my brother. We don't know anybody in town. He didn't go to college. He never married. He didn't have any kids. There was nothing to say. There was nothing to put in there. We didn't even bother with it. Nobody knows about it. I decided I'd just drive down to the funeral home and see what's going on down there and see the casket because it was a closed casket. I couldn't see him and I walked through the more the funeral home and I saw that black sign with the white letters. It said Daniel Delnor Whiteford on the sign and I again just lost it. I was beside myself and I thought to myself and it was coming to me, nobody even knows. Nobody is here. We don't have any friends here. We can't have a visitation here. We don't no one even knows what's happening. And then it hit me as I walked in and saw that casket. I thought to myself, does God even know we're here? Because when you're weary and it's just overpowering, your perspective and your complaints and your, your ideas and your rationality begins to be adjusted. I thought, no, no one cares. And I don't even know. I can't hear from God. I don't see God here. Stood, stood there weeping. Then somebody opened the 
back door of the chapel. And an elderly couple walked in. And I blinked my eyes a couple times. And it was George and Eva from my church in Marysville, Ohio, all the way down there in San Antonio. There's no scheduled service today. I didn't know they knew anything. They were on vacation in Harlingen, Texas, which was a five-hour drive from San Antonio. I wiped my eyes. Is it, is it you? I said, what are you doing here? They said, when we heard what happened, we just got in the car and started driving. And we found out on the way which funeral home it was, and we drove straight to the funeral home to get information. And we just came to tell you that we love you. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, how do you do this? They got in their car five hours away. They didn't know when the services were or what was going to happen. I got out of my car and went to the funeral home, and I'm standing there weeping, and I'm asking this fundamental gut-wrenching question, does anybody care? Does anybody know? Does God even care? And in they come, and they say, we're here just to tell you we love you. And suddenly, in the midst of all of that grief and gloom, it was riveted to me. God knew where I was, and God cared, and God loved, and he sent them. And when they embraced me, I might as well have been embracing Jesus himself as it poured out. Sometimes we can't even muster what it takes to go to the next level. But he knows where we are. All we have to do is be willing to come. And sometimes, frankly, we're not going to get up and come to him. He's going to have to come to us. But if we say yes, he says yes, and we find refreshment for our souls. Oh, what an invitation. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened. In a crowd this size, how many of us need to come to Jesus and say, I'm weary. I need to be refreshed. That's why I came. Why wait for anything else when that's what we came to camp meeting for is to come to Jesus. Somebody might say, I don't even know where I am spiritually. Let me tell you, the thing that will wear you out the most is being in a place like this and still having some disobedience in your life. And that can be surrendered to God. We can just come to him. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The solution is get alongside Jesus. And one of the ways we come alongside him is coming to a camp meeting like this, but it's not enough to come to Syker. you got to come to Jesus. And he says, come. Will you come? Will you stand with me as our musicians prepare to sing? Father, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, that you know where we are. You know what's going on in our lives. You know, Lord, how the fatigue and the burden and the weariness of it all can sometimes wear us into a place where we don't want to be. And, Lord, we just need to give it to you. We need to give you the attitudes. We need to give you the perspectives. But, Lord, there's something deeper at work, and that is this, this deep, out-of-balance part of us. Lord, we need a realignment. We need renewal. How many of you need to say, would say, something out of balance in my life, I'd like to come and have it realigned tonight. The altar is open. Don't wait until there's a blowout. Don't wait until the steel is sticking through the rubber. If there's something out of balance, do it for the sake of your family. Do it for your wife. Do it for your children and do it for yourself. We need to be realigned. The altar is open. Let's come as God speaks and opens it up to us. You come and obey the Lord. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase.
To added affliction, he added his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure. Don't stay out of bounds. Hey folks, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know what I'm talking about. Men, if something's out of balance, take care of it before it becomes a crisis. Ladies, if something is out of balance, don't go on and ignore it until it's so hard to keep it on the road that you just can't. He says, come to me. There's no judgment here at all. He's just saying, come. You'll never have an easier invitation. This is for anybody. He says, whoever you are, come. Would you come? There are more that should come. This, this is a great response, but more should come. I know you should. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, Ere the day is half done When we reach the end of our hoarded resources Our Father's full giving has only begun His love has no limit His grace has no his power has no boundary unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth. Be great if you have some supportive prayer around here, and if God is speaking to you, you come right along with these who are in supportive prayer. We need an atmosphere of prayer. We don't need anybody to know anybody else's business unless they volunteer it, but we sure could use some prayer support down at the altar. Would you come? And if you need to come for yourself, come with these who are praying for others. You just come, and we'll pray together. For this uh, final word before we go, there's something powerful in the story that Paul shared about this dear couple that showed up in the midst of his weariness, in the midst of his skewed view and wondering if God knew. There's going to be some people who encounter Jesus at this altar tonight and receive the invitation and the gift of rest for their souls, but there's some that it won't happen here. It's going to happen on a porch later this evening. When you respond to the prompting of the Spirit and say, you look weary. Is there something I can pray about with you? Or, or perhaps as you approach someone and say, I, I am weary. I need to confess. I need somebody to talk to. That message was for me tonight, but I wasn't quite sure how to process it. One of the gifts of this community is that uh, we sometimes encounter Jesus directly in a worship service as an altar, but we get this gift of family and community with one another. So I want to encourage us as we go tonight to be open and responsive to the Spirit's leading. Here's what I know. 
without any doubt in my mind. There are more people who are weary and in need of rest than are at these altars, but it doesn't have to happen here. What if we were responsive to Jesus in these days? To have those conversations, to, to notice one another. To say, I'm not even sure I have imagination for what it would look like to be yoked with Jesus in a way that I'm not weary all the time. Help me with that, brother. Help me with that, sister. Let's respond to the invitation of Jesus in community together during these days. Jesus, thank you for being present and extending to us this very personal and transformative invitation to all of us, all of us who are weary and heavy burdened. Thanks for not excluding any of us because of our sin or our shame or our mistakes. Thank you for inviting all of us to find rest for our souls. God, for those who are kneeling at an altar now seeking you, God, give grace and good news. Lift heavy burdens. Give clear directions about what it would look like to walk in a new way, yoked with you, to allow you to teach us a new way to walk. And then, God, go with us from this gathering of worship that we might continue to hear and respond to together in community this invitation to find rest for our weary souls. God, make these days of camp meeting a time of rest and renewal and transformation that is not an anomaly in our otherwise hectic and crazy out of control lives. Make this a time that is resetting us because we are yoked with you so that when we leave, we don't leave the restfulness here, but it goes with us as we learn to walk in step with you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being a, a God who can give us rest, not, not just for our bodies, but for our souls. Give us that deep rest today as we respond in faith to you, Jesus. Amen.